Greetings, I'm Will Tompkins, and this is the Narrow Way Podcast. This series of episodes is our study of John Bunyan's timeless book, The Pilgrim's Progress, Part 2, Christiana's Story. Links to our source text will be found in the description field of the first episode in this series. In this episode, we'll be taking a closer look at the character of mercy before proceeding to the Slough of Despond, the gate and beyond. But before we begin, a moment of prayer. O Father God, great is thy name, a name above all others. All glory and honor to you. We feel your presence around us and within us, Father, and grateful are we. And as we gather together for this lesson, may our ears be tuned to the truth of your word. May our eyes be fixed on the eternal view of that which is to come. And may our hands not waver as we do thy work. And Father, may our feet rest securely on the crown of the narrow way. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before we proceed with the narrative, let's take a closer look at mercy in whom there is much for us to learn. For blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Matthew 5, 7. Now the first time we see mercy, she and Mrs. Timorous are knocking on Christiana's door. Everything we hear of mercy after that might well be under the subtitle of, as Alexander White writes, a morning call and all that came of it. Think of it. The entirety of Mercy's life is changed at the knocking of a single door. A sinner walks in, a seeker walks out. God's providence is a singularly majestic thing to witness, is it not? Nevertheless, there are questions left unanswered. For example, don't you think it odd that young Mercy was in the company of a woman like Mrs. Timorous? As White would later write, John Bunyan, her biographer, in all his devotion to mercy, does not make it at all clear to us why such a sweet and good girl as mercy could be on such intimate terms with Mrs. Timorous and all her questionable circle of friends. Could it be that mercy's own mother was amongst them? Or perhaps she was an orphan? What we do know is that Mrs. Timorous and her circle of friends were hedonists, traveling along the broad way that leads to destruction, Matthew 7.13, and as such, she must have been dumbfounded and annoyed by Christiana's greeting, if you come in God's name, come in. After all, this was the city of destruction. Dumbfounded partly because this manner of greeting visitors had not been heard from Christiana before, and it was new, and it represented a threat to those who did not come in God's name. But during the back-and-forth debate that ensued, Mercy, although silent, was siding with Christiana and her distress. 
And when Mrs. Timorous had had enough, she ordered Mercy to come away and to leave Christiana in her own hands. But as White writes, for like a rose among thorns, Mercy was thoughtful and wise and womanly far beyond her years. She had already decided to offer herself to Christiana as a maidservant and to join her on pilgrimage, should it prove open to her. And her heart yearned over her own soul's salvation, for what Christiana had said had taken some hold upon Mercy's mind. Now, White points out several things to us. One, Christiana's sensitivity and courage and steadfastness of spirit had captivated Mercy's heart. He writes, What a blessing it is to a girl of Mercy's mold to meet at opening womanhood with another woman, be it a mother, a mistress, or a neighbor, whose character then, and as life goes on, can supply the part of the supporting and sheltering oak to the springing and clinging vine. Christiana, being now the new woman she was, as well as a woman of great natural wisdom and dignity and stability of character, the safety and the salvation of poor motherless mercy was as good as sure. Indeed, all of Mercy's subsequent history is only one long and growing tribute to the worth, the constant love, and the sleepless solicitude of this true mother in Israel. Now, the term mother in Israel is used here refers to Deborah in Judges 5-7, and I quote, The inhabitants of the villages ceased. They ceased in Israel until that I, Deborah, arose, that I arose a mother in Israel. Amen. I'll leave you to study that on your own, but suffice it to say that Deborah's mission was one of uplifting inspiration. Later, here in part two, there is a great battle wherein this attribute is on full display. Now, continuing with White's points, Number two, it seems that for a long time, Mercy had longed to meet people of truth and of life. This is quite remarkable, isn't it? That someone that young, living in such an environment, would utter such profound words. She wanted to meet people of truth and life. And her longing was satisfied, wasn't it, when she met Christiana, someone she loved almost immediately. She mourned as Christiana told her of her deep regret over her churlish words to her husband and her refusal to follow him on pilgrimage. As White eloquently puts it, Mercy used to say that she saw truth and life enough in one hour that morning to sober and to solemnize and to warn her to set a watch on the door of her lips for all her after days. Amen. Point three. As Mrs. Timorous departs, Mercy had already hung up her bonnet and was helping Christiana prepare for the journey. So from that moment on, Christiana had a daughter and Mercy a mother. And as Bain remarks in his commentary, this would be Mercy's last idle morning for all her days, for when she had nothing to do, she would be making clothes for the poor. And as this story unfolds, we will discover that her heart becomes more concerned for their souls than their nakedness. And thus the seeker who found Christ 
will ultimately put on the bonnet of a Salvationist. Amen. And the fourth point that White makes is that, as it turns out, this was the best morning of Mercy's life. Her name is so memorable that her happy case sets an example of inspiration to all God-fearing young women. Now we'll end this closer look at Mercy with this prophecy taught to King Lemuel by his mother. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Amen. Now let's return to the narrative. As our pilgrims prepare to leave the city of destruction, mercy, worried and weeping about her poor relations that yet remain, is encouraged by Christiana who tells her, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing bringing his sheaves with him, Psalm 126, 5 and 6. And so as they walk away, Mercy recites this prayer. Let the most blessed be my guide, if to be his blessed will, unto his gate, into his fold, up to his holy hill. And let him never suffer me to swerve or turn aside from his free grace and holy ways, whate'er shall me betide. And let him gather them of mine that I left behind. Lord, make them pray they may be thine with all their heart and mine. Amen. And of this, Chiva writes, perhaps the most delightful portion of the second dream of Bunyan is its sweet representation of the female character. There never were two more attractive beings drawn than Christiana and Mercy as different from each other as Christian and hopeful, and yet equally pleasing in their natural traits of character, and under the influence of divine grace, each of them reflecting the light of heaven in an original and lovely variety. Now, as we arrive at the Slough of Despond, let's pause and remember the almost insurmountable trial this was for Christian, and how pliable who was only looking for a pleasant journey and heavenly gifts, became a desperate coward. And recall that Christian, when asked by help why he didn't take the steps, confesses that he did not see them. Why? Because of fear, he was terrified of sinking from the weight of his own sin and burden. When our new pilgrims arrive, Christiana reflects on her husband's experience and notices that even though the king has commanded this place be made good for pilgrims, it is, in fact, actually worse. Why is that? Well, Bunyan, in his dream, is told by Mr. Sagacity that indeed it is worse, and it's because many there be that pretend to be the king's laborers and that say they are mending the king's highway but they bring dirt and dung instead of stones, and so they mar instead of mend. Paul writes in Galatians 5.10 that pretenders are soul troublers. They preach a false gospel, 
a gospel that's for sale in return for self-righteousness based on terms and conditions. That is prosperity preaching. That is a cult. If you encounter such loved ones, turn and run as fast as you can, back to the stile and over the fence and back onto the narrow way, and don't look back, lest you become like Lot's wife, a pillar of salt. Remember talkative and all like him, those who claim to know the gospel and yet live in ways that are offensive and contrary to it, talkative or anyone like him, is unworthy of your time. Now here at the beginning of the Swamp of Despond, Christiana did make a stand, but Mercy boldly urges her on with caution as they searched for the steps. And when they saw them, they staggered a bit to get on them. But on them they were, and although they stumbled once or twice moving forward, they made it to the other side. Praise the Lord. And when they made the other side, they thought they heard these words from Luke 145. Blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. Amen. For were it not for unbelief, Cheever wrote, there need be no slough of despond for the soul to struggle and plunge in its mire of depravity. And through the swamp now and approaching the gate, Mercy continues to be troubled by thoughts of being turned away. As they arrived, the text tells us they debated the manner of their calling. Who should knock? Who should speak? What should they say? They decided that since she was the eldest, Christiana should knock and speak for all. So she knocks louder and louder, just as her husband had done. But instead of an answer, they're frightened by the growling of a large, angry dog, and at that, they stopped knocking. Mason writes, No sooner does a poor sinner open his lips in prayer to Jesus, but the devil will bark at him, and by all means try to terrify and discourage him. Do you find this in your lives, loved ones? What is your remedy? Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you, James 4, 7 and 8. Now terrified of turning around and realizing there would be no answer unless they continued to knock, back to the door Christiana went and knocked even louder than before. Then the keeper of the gate answered, Who is there? Humbled, Christiana begs that the Lord not be offended by his handmaidens. And as it was with her husband, the keeper asks, where they had come from and what they would have. And how does she answer? She says, We are come from whence Christian did come, and upon the same errand. I am Christiana, once the wife of Christian. Now the keeper did marvel at this, as she had once abhorred the life of a pilgrim. Yes, said she, with her head bowed, so are these my sweet babes. At that, he took her hand and let her and her children in and shut the gate behind them. And now she's greeted with trumpets and shouts of joy. But what of sweet mercy, you ask? How terrified she must be. Indeed, the text tells us that she stood trembling and crying for fear that she was rejected. Here, Scott reminds us that when the fear of God possesses the heart, 
Such disturbances cannot long prevent earnest cries for mercy, but will eventually render them more fervent and importunate than ever. Thankfully, Christiana was at that very moment interceding for her, telling the keeper that she had come by her invitation. Now quite impatient, as each minute seems like an hour, Mercy begins knocking on the door so loudly that it startles those on the other side. But when the keeper opens the door, he finds that Mercy has fainted. Then he takes her hand and says, Damsel, I bid thee arise. And when she answers that there is scarce life left in me, what does he say? When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you, into your holy temple. Jonah 2.7 Fear not, he says, but stand upon thy feet and tell me wherefore thou art come. The fear of rejection is so strong for some that they turn away, not knowing that Jesus awaits their very presence. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. John 11.26 O loved ones, is not the greatness of our Lord shown in the depths of his mercy? Reach out for his outstretched hand. Mercy did, and he led her gently in and said, I pray for all them that believe on me, by what means soever they come unto me. By what means soever, no special merit badge is required. This is why it is so important that we understand that in this time, these are the days for sowing, just as did Christiana when she invited mercy to come to the gate, to come to the Lord. O oh Lord, may we all be so bold as to tell others to reach, reach for his outstretched hand while there is still time. Amen. Now our pilgrims repent of their sins and beg the Lord for forgiveness and ask what further they must do. He tells them they are pardoned by both word and deed and by word in the promise of forgiveness and by deed in the way I obtained it. Now salvation to all who believe paid by his deeds at the cross. As to what further they must do, the Lord says that it will be revealed, as it will also be revealed to us, loved ones. Our pilgrims are at last through the gate, and the Lord has welcomed them, and he has forgiven them. They are in. They spend some time now reminiscing about the journey thus far, realizing that they must continue to strive that the life of a pilgrim is striving, sometimes against seemingly insurmountable odds, and sometimes they and we must strive in the face of fear, as it was with the growling dog. Indeed, so frightened were they by that dog that as they prepare to depart, they ask him why he keeps such a vicious animal at the gate. It is here we learn that he is not the owner that the dog belongs to the castle just beyond the gate, and that the owner keeps him for the sole purpose of turning pilgrims away from the gate, that is, keeping them, he says, from coming to me. You may remember that in part one, that very same castle, Beelzebub's castle, deployed expert bow and arrow marksmen on the roof 
to shoot at all those who attempted entry. And remember this, Satan will do everything and anything to derail all those who strive for the imperishable crown. Be wary, loved ones, and tighten your spiritual core, especially when things are good, when you're at the top of the mountain and everything's going smooth, for that is when he will strike. So, as Mason writes, press on, nor fear to win the day, though earth and hell obstruct the way. Now Christiana talks of the journey ahead and asks the way. And as Bunyan tells us, he fed them and washed their feet and set them in the way of his steps, according as he had dealt with her husband before. And as they walk, Christiana sings, Blessed be the day that I began, a pilgrim for to be, and blessed also be that man that thereto moved me. Tis true, t'was long ere I began to seek to live forever, but now I run fast as I can. Tis better late than never. Our tears to joy, our fears to faith are turned as we see that our beginning, as one saith, shows what our end will be. Amen. Well, loved ones, as we come to the end of yet another episode, let us pray that the Spirit might lead us in our striving. Dear Lord, humbly we come before you giving thanks for your presence here with us and for this time of fellowship and learning. Let us take heart, Father God, in the knowledge of your promises and in the knowledge of our striving so that we may see the steps before us and have the courage to take them. Let us pay no heed, Father, to the growling of the evil one, for his promises are void and his fear-mongering impotent. Let our lives, our deeds, our faithfulness be on display for all to see. And with all of this, Father, may we be a beacon of hope for the lost and a guide for the blind, so that they too may one day knock loudly at your gate. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, loved ones, in our next episode, we'll cover the devil's garden and all are part of the interpreter's house. Until then, may the comforter be with you always to guide you in the way that leads to the city. 